our podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things related to disability. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. We're sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and sanchia.org on straight independent radio. I'm joined today by my regular co-hosts, Liza Citron, disabled advocate, disabled artistic advocate and future special education teacher, Scott Davis, disabled entrepreneur, speaker and writer, and Dr. Jeremy Pierce, PhD, philosopher, deep thinker, my husband and a fellow autism parent. Now, today we're talking about the, the rather, the very controversial Judge Rottenberg Educational Center in Massachusetts. This is a center that's known for using electric shock devices to control the residents in the center. Of course, autistic advocates have been advocating for this, for the center to stop using those electric shock devices. And there's re there was recently a court case that overturned a ban on using those devices on the residents of the center. So let us discuss the appropriateness of, a, of using electric shock devices on people with developmental disabilities and the what is with that court ruling? <laughs> Liza, let me start with you uh, for a bit of background on the center and the electric, electric shock devices and a bit of information about the, the, the case as it moves through the courts. Okay, thank you. So the Judge Rodenberg Center, Rodenberg, I'm not, I've heard it pronounced both ways. It was founded in the early 70s under a different name, under the name the Behavior Research Institute and had sections of it, areas of it in California and other areas before it moved to Massachusetts, specifically in Canton, which if I remember correctly is further east Massachusetts, somewhere somewhat near the Boston area. It's existed in its current form in many ways since then. It's considered an educational center, but just like we've seen in the past, that isn't quite all of it. First of all, all of its residents are disabled in some way. A lot of them either emotionally disabled, otherwise developmentally disabled or autistic. And there have long been concerns about the way, the ways in which <clears throat> this center treats its residents. Even before the the concern about the graduated electroshock device or the GED had come about, whether that was in its use of <clears throat> negative reinforcement and positive punishment, i.e. negative means taking something away. So negative reinforcement will be taking away 
a positive thing to try and decrease the occurrence of a, an undesired behavior, whereas positive punishment, punishment would be adding something negative or harmful or otherwise adding something unwanted to decrease the occurrence of an undesired behavior. This center has been using both, despite the fact that many, many, many studies have been done proving that in general, positive reinforcement is better and, and more effective than negative reinforcement or positive punishment. However, the, the biggest thing this has been in the news and on social media lately is the aforementioned GED. This device is supposedly used to correct behavior and it is a device that is worn by a resident or student, as the JRC calls them, and controlled by a remote, by another individual, most often those that they deem their teachers. Now, speaking about the, the graduated electric, uh, anyway. Speaking about the shock devices, GED, yeah. So, several activists, organizations, governments have deemed these things to be a form of torture. They have deemed what goes on at the Judge Lautenberg Educational Center as torture. There's video yep. evidence of people being tortured. We can link that, and I have I have statistics here, not statistics, but numbers of the shock that's used hmm. for reference. And this is posted <clears throat> on Twitter by autistic side person, or reposted in their article, which we can post below. But this has been taken from other articles and other direct sources for reference. Police tasers tend to be between, <clears throat> sorry, 2.1 milliamps to 3.6 milliamps. Cattle prods tend to be around 10 milliamps for a small port, a small fraction of a, a second. However, the GEDs, uh, they're different iterations. The GED one, which is the weakest of all of them is 30 milliamps for two seconds, which mm -hmm. is three times the strength of a cattle prod and two times the strength found to be tolerable for adult humans. Now, the, the, the strongest is 90, which has never been approved by the FDA. The thing about the Rottenberg Center, though, is that the electric shocking is not the only aversive that they use to control residents. No. They withhold food. food. They restrain them. Yep. They engage in sensory deprivation. And apparently, this, despite there being video evidence of people being tortured, 
this is all deemed legal to do yes. to people with disabilities, developmental disabilities, often those with the highest needs. Exactly, and we wouldn't deem this legal, we have deemed this illegal for animals, and yet yeah. it's still considered legal for people. Not only do they withhold food, they engage in sensory deprivation and use the GEDs. So not only have we deemed this to be, not to be illegal for disabled individuals, we have deemed it to be illegal to do to animals. So the question is, what does that say about the way in which these people view disabled people or what is seen as being okay? Not only that, but the GED is used in response not only to behaviors that are entirely innocuous, such as stimming that is not self-injurious. It's also been used, justified, as a use for a reaction while someone is going through the, the shops. Mm. In the video that was most widely circulated, the first shock was given for something as simple as a refusal to remove his jacket, which obviously that's wrong. He might've been cold, he might've needed that jacket and there was no reason to make him remove it. But not only did they shock him for that, when he very, very naturally cried out during the shock, they shocked him for that again. And he was shocked somewhere upwards of 30 times and had ended, ended up with severe burns and severe acute stress disorder, which could later become PTSD. And that's what his mother said had happened. Yeah. So, so basically, these people are being tortured at this center. There are all sorts of justifications for continuing to do this. Even the staff who've worked there have said that they are expected to shock people regardless of circumstances, which raises the question, what the heck is going on and why are we letting it go on? I think a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know what's going on. In addition, the ban that we were talking about, that was intended to be put in place in 2020. But just this month, they ruled it because it was intended to be banned, not in general, but for one purpose, i.e. aversive therapy. They had to either ban it outright or allow it in all circumstances. And for right now, the latter is the case, which is, this should never have been legal in the first place. But the fact that the option when you're awaiting a decision is that it can be used is just, no. So Jeremy, I want to tap into you. Take us, take us through the thought process. What is the what are the moral implications 
that the Judge Rottenberg Educational Center is allowed to continue torturing its residents in this way with electric shock therapy, by withholding food, by putting them in, in isolation, social deprivation, uh, sensory deprivation, and restraining them because of minor infractions. Things like going to the bathroom without permission. Things like urinating on yourself because you were denied permission to use the bathroom. Things like reacting to the electric shock when you get the electric shock will get you more electric shocks. Oh, Jeremy, let's take a look at the, the, the moral, the philosophical implications of this case. Yeah, well, part of the problem here is that the, the staff who are there uh, aren't being, I mean, you could imagine someone who did this sparingly and in a way that was more controlled or more thought out, and it would, certainly wouldn't be as bad as it is, but they seem to be not only doing something that I mean, really might be critical of to begin with, but they seem to be doing it in ways that are ridiculous. So it's, it's, uh, there's so much evidence that, the, that um, the people who are doing it aren't even trying to do it in, in the way that they argue for it. So that's a big problem right there. And um, I just, I mean, think if you compare it to other things that we, that we do, uh, I'm not familiar with the animal use of this that was banned and how that was done. I don't know how that was, I mean, it seems like by this decision that should be that should be not allowed either, but maybe it depends on how they did it. But the, the, um, cause that seems like it's a particular use of the device. So I don't know the, I mean, the, the, the FDA argument was, or the FDA power, the decision was we were going to regulate the use of this device for this purpose. And the, the federal court decision said, when you're regulating a device, you have to ban the device rather than regulate the use of that device for a particular purpose. So either the animal one has never been challenged or the, um, uh, and that's why it's, it remains, or it's not banning the device, it's banning a practice. And maybe that's what they should have done to begin with, just ban a practice, but that wouldn't be the FDA's domain, that would be something else. So uh, it might just be the details of, of how this was done and, and, and the wording that was used and things like that that led to the, the ban being overturned, I don't know. But the, the general moral uh, issue is different from whatever the legal issues are. The general moral issue is something, I mean, I think if, if, if you, we've had actual cases of things that were far less severe than what's going on here that were used against actual terrorists 15 years ago, say, uh, 17 years ago. And um, the Bush administration, the CIA, the military were uh, treated with outrage for making someone stand on their feet for an hour or so. Or I mean, it sometimes was done much longer than that. But people called that torture. Uh, the the uh, the military techniques. I mean, the CIA had some extreme techniques that were going on. 
that they used with a few particularly uncooperative people. And that's where waterboarding was and so on. But the military interrogators weren't doing any of that stuff. That was the CIA and it was a secret program. The military interrogators were doing things that were relatively, I mean, the police officers do all the time. And it was called torture and they were told they can't do it. Um, they weren't allowed, they were, they were told they weren't allowed to lie, which police officers do all the time when they're interrogating people. And, and it was called torture. So, I mean, if we're gonna call tor torture something that police officers do all the time, then, then why would we not think of this in the same way? And, and these are not people who are deliberately, belligerently trying to pursue acts of terrorism. These are people who have disabilities who are behaving in ways that you might expect out of them because of their disabilities. And so if we're gonna allow them to be treated in worse ways, then we're willing to treat terrorists who want to blow up large numbers of people. That's really weird, right? Our, our priorities are not set in a mm. way that we're, we're thinking about how we do one thing and then how we do another thing, right? Where they, and now, obviously it's not always the same people who are saying one thing and then saying another thing. But even so, it, it's, it's worth having public policies that are consistent with each other. And it's just not clear that we do. I mean, I, I mean it's clear to me that we don't in, the, in this case. So, um, I mean, there is a long history of people with disabilities being treated in ways that are worse than we treat animals. There's plenty of criticism of the way that we treat animals <laughs> in, the, in our society. Uh, it's probably a minority of people doing it, but I think their voices are louder than the voices. I mean, just think about how much opposition there is from vegetarians and vegans against factory farming. And uh, yet, I, I don't hear a lot of mention of this particular facility in broader circles, right? So, I mean, they're, they're, these are human beings, these are people. And some of them may have capacities that are lower than some animals. I suppose that's true. And if you only have capacity, the ability to do things as your way to evaluate someone's moral status, then I guess you're gonna put some animals higher than some people. There are certainly some utilitarians that think that way. Peter Singer, for example, but um, I, I think that's a minority view. I think most people, when they hear about that sort of thinking, find it horrendous. And ultimately speaking, that even that isn't true of a lot of these people who are in this facility, I'm sure. And there's, there's a, an easy temptation that when people have lower ability to communicate, we assume that they're less intelligent and we assume that they're less capable of making decisions and 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 so on but the i mean the other the other side of this is the research is pretty overwhelming that in cases of certain kinds of neurological conditions and autism is one of them uh, the the kind of um, reinforcement of behavior by issuing negative consequences, consequences of, of punishing, doesn't work. And, and it's not just that it doesn't work, it's that it particularly works worse with autism than it does with most people. The, the ways the brain works with autism make that kind of punishment thoroughly ineffective. <laughs> and this is something that we witnessed with, with our own son over the, over the years. Not, 
you know, not only potentially just ineffective, but in essentially enforcing the behavior you want to to decrease. Yeah, yeah, it reinforces the behavior. And it, I mean, in the case of our son, the reinforcement, the intended reinforcement becomes part of the behavior. They were, we're trying to reinforce good behavior, but we're reinforcing bad behavior. And then the, the behavior becomes the, 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 the thing that, that we would try to see if it would work would then become part of the behavior. He would, he would, he would say the things people say to him negatively yep. when he did the behavior and yep. then he would giggle. And as if he's as if he's trying to get that response. So I I now I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe the more severe stuff doesn't work that way. I, I really don't know. But but there's there's plenty of research that the way the brain receives that that input is different in cases of autism than it is in cases of, of most of our brains. And the the it doesn't have the same effect that it has. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of studies about negative effects and how they affect human behavior. And it's not that it has no effect. It's just that it doesn't usually, there, there are better ways to do it. But with autism, there's almost no effect from the negative treatment compared with, with other people. So it, it's, it's, they're, they're doing something that causes harm. It doesn't work to have the effect that they're trying to produce. It has the opposite effect. And the only way they get away with it is because the people they're doing it to don't have a voice to complain about it. And even the ones that can complain about it verbally in person there, they're in some facility where their voice can't be heard by anyone outside of it. And we keep saying we keep saying things like what happened at Willowbrook, just for reference for people who don't know, uh, which was an institution in Staten Island that perpetrated horrific, horrific uh, behavior on its what can only be called inmates, residents, inmates. We we say things like that are no longer here but I can't help compare the treatment here. That the, the, there are aspects of it that are still going on. Yeah, people were shocked at the Willowbrook case. They yeah. took investigative journalism. It took Geraldo Rivera going in oh, there exactly. and yeah. filming a documentary about the thing. And, and, and um, I mean, I think that's what put him on the map. I think that's what he Oh, did. yes. That was, that was Geraldo Rivera's first, uh, first major scoop. Very much so, and the staff that let him in risked everything because no one goes in, no one goes out. And the voice, basically, the voice not, the, the individuals inside not having a voice and not being able to speak about what's happening to them, even if they have the physical capability to speak, is similar between the two here. Several people, several residents have died at the Judge Rottenberg Six. Educational Center as a clear result of the torture that they endured at the center. Not only, yeah. were, not only were the, are the shocks often given in, in ways that are incredibly dangerous, but more often than not, prone restraint is also what is used when yes. administering those shocks. Prone restraint being the restraining of a person 
with their face to the floor or, or to the ground. They also use four point restraints, which yep. if you've ever seen pictures of, a, of medieval torture devices, like the rack stuff, that like is, that, that's basically what it looks like. Yeah, the Massachusetts Department of Developmental Services, they're responsible for providing, for giving the center its license and for for allowing it to use the aversives and the and the electric shocks. Which raises the question, why Massachusetts Department of Developmental Services are you allowing the torture of people with developmental disabilities to continue? when just about every other similar organization in the country has said, yeah, no, we're not gonna do that. We don't know why they keep letting this center torture people with developmental disabilities. And, and in your discussion, you, you both of you, uh, Jeremy and Liza mentioned that we have laws against doing this to animals. We have whole movements. I, I think about PETA. They spend so much money putting up billboards, presumably advocating for animal welfare. We don't have the same kind of push. We don't have the same level of advocacy trying to protect these vulnerable individuals who, I'm going to say it again, they are being tortured at the Judge Rottenberg Educational center and we allow this as a nation we allow this the massachusetts department of developmental services allows this and there doesn't seem to be the the, the morality the guts basically to say no stop torturing people with developmental disabilities Scott, you've been really quiet over there so i, I want to get your opinion on the Judge Rottenberg Center and the way that people are tortured there. You yourself with a developmental disability could have been one of their victims had your parents made the choice to send you to a place like that. Yeah, thanks for letting me communicate. It's very shocking to me. I didn't do extensive research as I usually do. It's not a pretty topic. I know that uh, Temple Grandin wouldn't approve of this because she always looks at the humane treatment for the animals and has the understanding. Also, if you go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we've talked about in the program in the past, hmm. we have to give each individual that right. And especially for the, there should be advocates such as parents, they should be listened to because some individuals, they can't communicate. And as you mentioned in the discussion, putting on a coat, or taking off a coat, sometimes that might be the best way to communicate for them to be comfortable, but they can't communicate unless they have a, a board saying I'm cold or I'm hot. A lot of them might not have that technology. And those are some of my thoughts, but definitely get the advocates involved, tie into the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And also if I was one of those residents, I'd be very fearful yeah. Because whenever I've been in positions of work or, or life and I've been sometimes afraid, I've shut down. So it's mm -hmm. uh, very shocking to me. And it's specifically been said that the intention of this is fear. It's this, this device 
is intended to cause pain and therefore fear of that pain if this behavior is continued. That is what it is doing. And that is the methodology they're in. And that is, and as an education student, I, I have to point out, the curriculum there, because they do call themselves an educational organization, a school, the curriculum, the curriculum there has been investigated and there basically is none. Yeah. There, there doesn't seem to be any curriculum. The center claims that it also uses positive behavioral supports. No one's been able no to find out what that. those are. <laughs> No one knows what they those are because investigations haven't found any. And a, a core of the problem with the Judge Rottenberg Center is their use of behavioral modification, behavior modification treatments using the methodologies of, of, of applied behavioral analysis. This what they're doing is is behavior modification using applied behavioral analysis, ABA, which is controversial in the autism community. And the Judge Rottenberg Center is one of the reasons why it's so controversial. Judge Rottenberg Center, they rely on the the aversion therapy, using the aversives, the shocking, the depriving people of food, depriving people of freedom of movement, Depriving them of sleep. Any of those, Scott, I love that you brought up Maslow's hierarchy because basically all of those things that are the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy are used as yep. aversives. They withhold letting people feel safe. They create a, a, an atmosphere where no one is safe, not even their employees, who apparently fear for losing their jobs if they don't shock people enough. I don't know why anyone would, would want to work someplace like that, but here we are. So all of those basic needs in Maslow's hierarchy are denied to people, are used as threats to people with developmental disabilities. They're used as threats for people who are extremely vulnerable to being manipulated and abused. And this is at a place that's supposed to be helping them. I don't know how it's supposed to be helping them when you withhold those basics of life, food, shelter, being made to feel safe and comfortable. It makes no sense. And also from, a, from someone who was a previous resident there, they're not allowed to socialize with anyone, whether staff or fellow residents, unless they're in the place where they get rewarded, which is, according to this resident, a specific room with games, that sort of thing, which are the rewards supposedly for the good behavior. And that is the only place where they are allowed to socialize with anyone. So you're also holding the basic need of socialization and Honestly, even introverts know that, well, while we may be peopled out sometimes, socialization is something that is needed. 
as people. And in fact, you might say that the kind of socialization that's happening is being is making them accustomed to being tortured. You were going to yep. say, Scott? Yeah, even during this pandemic, when I wasn't able, I mean, I had Zoom, but I wasn't able to have as much interaction one-on-one. -on -one. I could obviously, as I had my doorman or talk to friends on the phone or Zoom, but it was very hard for that period of time. And that was just to stay safe and healthy. I had the outlet at least of being able to be on, online and be with our team here. And so I wasn't totally alone. I'd be really scared and I can communicate. But if I don't understand that world, I don't, I mean, anyone that's listening to that has a moral fiber in, their, in themselves definitely should not allow this to continue. We have to treat everyone that has disabilities unique because I have a hard time, to be honest, when I see people that can't communicate, but I also see within themselves joy, they laugh. They're somehow, they enjoy life, however they do it, but it's a struggle. And I think that's a big problem. I want to think that people do have the morality to stand up for this, but people don't know what is the big thing. People aren't aware of this because it's never, they do a very, very careful job about keeping this under wraps. Well, now our listeners know. And now our listeners know that this center is a place where people are tortured. And it's not like we don't know that the shock devices are ineffective and that the aversives are ineffective. We know that these things are ineffective, that they're counterproductive, that they will produce what they most commonly produce are physical and psychological harm, burns, tissue damage, depression, fear, aggression, anxiety. One person was left in a catatonic state. We know that these things don't work. We know that they create physical and psychological harm in the residents at that center. We know this. But the Judge Rottenberg Educational Center, and educational is in scare quotes, people, because there's no educating going on there, is allowed to continue torturing people. They're allowed to continue lying to parents, pressuring parents. They're allowed to continue to operate, depriving people of food, freedom of movement, freedom of association, these are, these are constitutional things. They're denied freedom of speech. They're denied freedom of association. Their rights are stripped from them. Human rights groups rightly recognize that this is a hot mess, that the Judge Rottenberg Center is a hot mess and people are being tortured there. So folks, Massachusetts Department of Social Service, Developmental Services, there are a number of petitions. Big people with developmental disabilities. The Judge Rottenberg Center is not it. There are a number 
there are a number of petitions online that can be signed and sent to your congressman, your governor, and potentially the Massachusetts Department of Developmental Services to now that people know, to tell them this isn't okay. And you were saying, Sam, how this has obviously been condemned and how how is this happening? Well, you know who else has condemned it? And the use of these devices? The UN. And if the UN is telling you that what you're doing is against international law and is against laws to avoid torture, then you know that something is massively wrong. Something has gone way too far and needs to be changed immediately. Now, there, there are a lot of uh, autism rights, disability rights advocates and organizations that have been fighting the Judge Rottenberg Center for years. They're how I first learned about the Judge Rottenberg Center and their efforts are incredible. And it boggles the mind that no one is listening and people are continually being tortured there. So if you want more, for, for those of you who want more information, who wanna connect with the advocates who are on the front lines of this fight, you can check out the self-advocacy, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. Those are the folks where I first learned about this. And, and frankly, when I found autistic adults who were advocating for themselves, I'm like, I found my people. I didn't know I was autistic yet, but it's like, yeah, these are the people that I want. <laughs> Speaking up for my children because they'll, they'll listen and they'll know how to listen when my kids are having communication difficulties. And they rightly recognize that torturing people with developmental disabilities for the fact that they have developmental disabilities is completely unacceptable. There's no excuse for this. So check out the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. Jeremy, Scott, Liza, any further comments on this? Jeremy, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really gotten into the legal questions all that much, and that's really what people are not so interested in, I'm sure. But I, as I was looking at this decision, I, I have to say, I'm not sure I would blame the judges for this okay. decision, because they're trying to interpret the law and what the law, what powers the law allows the FDA to have and that sort of thing. But there's got to be some way to ban this kind of practice in general without having it be the FDA banning the use of a particular device for particular uses. So perhaps th that was just the wrong way to go about this uh, legally, I don't know. And Congress of course could change the law as well in response to this, which I doubt they will do because they can't agree on anything and no one in Congress wants to have particular laws. They wanna throw everything into large packages that only one side will agree with. And, and yeah, smuggle in Washington right? DC is a hot mess. <laughs> so I don't, I don't expect the law to change as a result of this decision. But that, I mean, that seems to me to be the clearest thing, just have Congress make clear what they want and, and, and do it, right? Yeah. But there's um, got to be some way to ban the practice. And it seems like the practice is the issue here, not the particular use of that one device. You ban the particular use of that one device, they'll just make another device, right? Yes. So that, I mean, that, that's not how it should have been done to begin with. 
the, the issue here is the practice of using that kind of reinforcement. It, there's a particular behaviorist ideology that lies behind it. And it, it's distinct from ABA in general. We're gonna have an episode on ABA that we're planning. So we will talk about that <clears throat> in general. But uh, there's a particular kind of behaviorism in psychology that uh, I think the research has not supported that, that uses this kind of negative consequence in, in this kind of way, and not just with the, with the shocking, but with the, the other things they're doing. Right. And it seems to me that there could be a law or a regulation by a, by a government agency of some sort that, 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 that bans that ki kind of treatment or regulates how it could be done. And there apparently just isn't anything in place that's like that. I'm assuming that's how it's banned with animals. And um, um, other, other, Jeremy, to speak to your point, other states have banned the practices that the Judge Rottenberg Center now uses. And in the earlier years, in the 70s, 80s, and the 90s, states revoked <laughs> the license of the centers to, 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 take people in. Basically, the states kicked them out. The only state that is that is allowing these, this kind of program to continue is the state of Massachusetts. So other states got it. They figured out, oh no, y'all can't be here. Y'all can't be doing this to our people. Take your stuff and go. Massachusetts, however, is allowing this to happen. Go ahead with what you were saying, Jeremy. So yeah, and I'm just, I, I don't see how this particular decision is <clears throat> really a stop to um, efforts to, to end this practice. There, there are perhaps even ways that, that they should have gone about to begin with that would be better. So, and it, I, I'm not sure I understand the details of the reasoning on both sides, the judges, involved in this case and, and, and at, the, at the circuit court level, there's always three judges and then majority rules. And two of the judges were in the majority and one was in, one was in the minority. And I don't know one of the judges, he's, he's relatively new, but the other two and one on each side are both outstanding judges with really good legal credentials and very intelligent people and, and so on. So um, there certainly is room for disagreement about the legal question on what they actually decided. And I wouldn't necessarily hold it against the two judges in the majority that they made a legal decision that FDA has certain abilities and doesn't have other abilities. Uh, they weren't deciding the question on whether this practice is good, whether it was moral and that kind of thing. And, and they were just deciding the question of what the FDA is allowed to do and what it's not allowed to do, what is within its power according to the law that establishes the FDA and gives it the authority to do things. Yeah. So I, 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 I do want to make that, that point. Um, we shouldn't necessarily and, blame the judges for this. Yes, Jeremy, I, I, read, I read their decision as telling the FDA to come up with a better way to stop this from happening. Yeah, that's entirely, that's entirely possible that that was their intention. They, I, I, uh, I, I have great respect for one judge on one side and one on the other side. I think they're both great judges. They were appointed by different parties, but that they, they, they are both outstanding judges who really um, have good intentions. And I don't think this is something that we should blame them for. 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that we should not decide legal cases because of what outcome we think should happen. That's not the role of judges, that's the role of Congress. And um, so if there's any problem here, it's in, it's in, it's in um, how the laws were written or, or, or whatever it might be. But I, I certainly think there's gotta be some legal room for doing this. If, 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 if it's done by other states and if it's done by, with, with animals, with, with criminals, <laughs> with detainees, and then it should be able to be done for this particular population and give them the same protection. The question is just how do they do it? And someone who, who knows those legal issues and knows how they've all been done would, might be able to sort that all out. So I would always argue for trying to do things in ways that they're not gonna be overturned by the courts. But if there are cases that have been successful in doing this, then, then we should pursue them. We should figure out how to do it in a way that allows this to be, to be stopped. So obviously there are some people in the government who want to stop it, who want it to end. And they need to figure out how the best way to go about that is going to, is going to be. And if I could say something, when I'm thinking just of mm -hmm. FDA, there, there should be ways to allow, I mean, that's dealing with Food and Drug Administration. I don't, maybe they're trying to, have them be medicated in a certain way through that behavior, but definitely should. Uh, they, they should appeal to other people than just judges. I think they should appeal to parents' groups because that's where these uh, adults and children are from, is, is their families. And they should definitely have an equal voice where their families know them. We also have to mention that around 90% of residents in the JRC are from the city, New York City, but also 90% thereabouts of the residents are minority ethnicity. Mm. So there is already a potential issue there in terms of, of treatment, representation, that sort of thing, over-representation of minority ethnicities in this center, but that also has other implications as well, which I'm sure because you have expertise in study of philosophy and race, Dr. Pierce, that you could potentially speak to. Just the implications that um, the fact that 90% of the residents of the JRC are minority ethnicity would, would kind of have my in my view it's always bad if we have a, a a result that's disproportionately affecting a certain community uh, i'm not sure what the forces are that lead that to be so my suspicion is families who are from uh underprivileged backgrounds which are disproportionately minorities uh, are more likely to get frustrated and not have the resources to handle their their loved ones who have conditions that mm -hmm. that lead them to be aggressive and and difficult to deal with and so this is perhaps a result of broader forces in our society that 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 lead to that that situation um i i think there are people who have a tendency to describe that sort of thing as as if anyone is deliberately targeting minorities 
and and for for bad treatment or something like that. I I, I doubt anything like that is going on here. I mean, okay. I think the institute believes what they're doing is right, and they believe they're helping people. Uh, I I think they're wrong about that, but I think that that's what they believe, at least at least officially, just some of them. But I I mean, there are probably people there who really do think these are bad people who need to be punished. But I I suspect that at least at the at the top level there are people who really think that this is going to lead people to to be less dangerous and, and harmful and i'm not sure they're as concerned about the well-being of, of the people in question as they are i mean i'm not sure what motivates them but but i wouldn't necessarily assume that this is some way to um hey let's do some harm to minorities right i i, I don't think anyone has has is believing that but nevertheless it's it's something that that i guess is a concern because uh who who is it that we're more willing to overlook who is it that we're more uh willing to marginalize and and not know that we're doing it i mean i, I don't think it's deliberately being done but because of forces in society that that do make um make it harder for people of lower income and lower social capital, the ability to, to rely on supports in society and, and, and get, get help and the ability to uh, even know and understand the kinds of facts and, 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 and issues that are involved here. It's easier for people like that to be deceived and think this is what's good. It's easier for people in those, those conditions to get more frustrated and, and cry out for help and someone who's going to take their, their, their loved one away and, and deal with it is, is a big relief to them. And there are people who are in such positions who are just exhausted and, 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 and so on. And that's more likely to happen. It's more likely to happen if you don't have the level of resources. And, and yeah, it's true that in our society, the way things are, that's going to be disproportionately people who are not white and people who are uh, in, in various groups that are to some degree marginalized. So uh, I think that's, that's, that might be an effect of a lot of other issues in our society. Yep. I would caution people against thinking that this is some kind of targeting going on. I don't think that's true. But um, yeah, that's something that we should be concerned about. I mean, they're, they're, it's one of many, many, many effects of a lot of complex structures in our society that that lead to more negative effects for certain groups compared to others. That's something we should we should be aware of and concerned about. I think there are far more important questions with this than that, though. And in particular, right. in particular, here are people who are being harmed in the name of doing good. In some cases, they might not even be concerned about the well-being of the people. They just want to make their job easier. Agreed. I just figured it was an additional thing. Yeah. that needed to be pointed out. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about how the center operates, because we know that what they're doing is wrong. We, 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 we understand intuitively that what they're, what they're doing is wrong. There have been several lawsuits by different departments in Massachusetts, several lawsuits several trying lawsuits. to shut them down. And for some reason, 
the JRC wins their lawsuits, even though there's all this evidence that they're torturing people, that they have caused the death of several students. Former employees are saying, look, this place is bad news. You need to stop them. There doesn't seem to be the political will, the ability to stop them. Legislators have tried, the, the various social service departments in Massachusetts have tried, and they just can't, legislation can't be passed. It's always blocked by someone. Lawsuits, JRC always wins them. I don't know how. So what is going on behind the scenes? How good is their lobbying that no one has been able to stand up to them? They're, they're making a lot of money off of taxpayers to torture people. And as you said, Liza, 90% of them are from New York City, 90% of them are minorities. So basically, this is money coming out of New York State going to someplace that is torturing people. It would seem that the, the authorities in New York State can say, no, you can't send our people there. But here we are. Which is one of the reasons I, I think it's also important to not only write to the senators in Massachusetts or the state senators or the federal senators for that matter, whether we're talking Warren or the state senators or the federal senators, I think it's also important to write to the representatives of the districts from which these people are, because like you said, Sam, we would think that they have at least a little bit of oversight of what's going on with their constituents. And these people remain their constituents, I would assume, whether or not they are in the JRC. I know that, I don't know whether the rule is the same, but I know that a lot of college students, if they're permanent residents, is in the state from which they are. They are still a constituent of the lawmakers from their state. So the presumably the representatives covering New York City should at least have some sort of oversight over this, if only because the parents even are still in New York City. Scott, you were gonna say? Yes, I would I would definitely say that having this information now everyone's aware at least i'm aware before this podcast i had no clue about this but if about this center and what they did i know a lot of times centers have caused problems and i've heard about the aba causing some issues but it's good to have that layer of advocacy and then if the senators understand and if we train the parents and caregivers of how to advocate for these special people, then we weren't going to have all as many of these problems. Because once people are aware, it might cause them to not sleep at night. So that's the key thing is having that awareness. And that's all of the, our efforts at Life Fantastic and Sanchia.org and Neurodiversity is we're trying to make people aware because there, there, there's a lot of these organizations out there, but here we are on the, on the airwaves and through our training programs. And we're a stellar example in the Northeast and hopefully as we expand outward 
that we're going to make a greater impact. And I know your sister will be proud of what we're doing. Thank you for saying that, Scott. I do, I do appreciate your insight. Now, there's a lot more that we could talk about that is wrong with Judge, Judge Rottenberg Educational Center, including the fact that there are parents who sue to have their children kept at this place, a place where we know people are being tortured. I was going to bring that up, that there are parents who are clearly uninformed or for some reason want their kids to stay here and uh, no. This has been a, a, a mind-boggling conversation talking yeah. about all the things are, that are wrong at this place, but still they, have, they somehow skate by and get away with torturing people. But we are over time <laughs> and we've got lots of other things to do today. I encourage you folks to look up more information about the Judge Rottenberg Educational Center and New York City folks, please stop sending your children to this place. They're being tortured and that is not okay. Thank you for listening to the Life Fantastic podcast, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things related to disability and in this case, we're talking about how wrong it is to torture people with developmental disabilities. So thank you everyone for listening to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability here on Straight Independent Radio. We're sponsored by neurodiversityconsulting.org and sentia.org. Check us out online to find out about all the great things we do with people with developmental disabilities. Thank you, Liza, Scott, and Jeremy for joining in this conversation and offering up your knowledge and expertise. We'll have another great topic for you to listen in on next time.